destino para ti lo que viniera de ti. Tu pueblo, tu pueblo. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 28 for Sunday, November 10th, 2013. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And we are still the creative team behind the documentary film Identify Melvin Buscando Well, there's more of a team now. Yes, there's more than, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But today's episode, we are going to talk about something that I call impact versus acclaim. And one question that I've gotten a lot uh, during the past couple showings that we've done is, are you going to take this to film festivals? And what people are asking is sort of what's the distribution, but what do you plan? How do you plan to get it out into the world? And this this question of film festivals kind of highlights one of the tough decisions that we face while trying to make a somewhat independent documentary film. So today we're going to try and unpack that a little bit and, and uh, not necessarily talk specifically about film festivals, but just in the context that that's one vehicle, one path that we could pursue. So, okay. uh, yeah, that's going to be our discussion, and we'll go a little bit deeper into that today. Sound good, John? Sounds good. And I can't wait till we're crossing that bridge, and it's actually a, a full-on issue, because we're still in the midst of it, but, but yeah, it it's an good. important question. Yeah, it's kind of it, it's one of those uh, good problems to have, and and it's something that we're working towards. So, you know, I wanted to spend a day just kind of talking about where we are with that decision. So maybe John, you can kind of explain, as you've done with me, what that film okay. festival well, route what, is all the about. Good thing, there's several good things about them, and I think I think the one that maybe isn't as understood outside of that circuit is that. If you are in a film festival or many, um, it's a good way to draw attention and and eyes to your film because if let's say you're in the Santa Monica Film Festival and the um, New England Film Festival and the Atlanta Film Festival and, and there's a whole list, well then you you know maybe 50 people see your film there at a, a smaller regional one, but Chances are that there'll uh, there'll be articles and blogs and newspaper print about your film, and basically local press. The same way a politician would travel or a book tour would travel around, and they they'd get press about their film. It's one of the few ways to to generate it. So that's you know that's one of the things people don't realize. You know, a lot of people think, oh, film festivals. What I hear about in the news is what sold for a million dollars at Sundance and that's for like 0.001% of all films that that actually applies to and granted you know 50% of people who go into film festivals think that's what they're going for but um but really a lot of a lot of it has to do with um almost like touring your film and and generating the publicity for it to connect with an audience so that's that's one of the benefits and and the you know when people are going for the big sales and the that type of excitement those film festivals and you know people hear the names of them it's like Toronto or Sundance or those a lot of times are exclusive where they want to be the first place to show your film and you can't show it anywhere beforehand and you have to apply like a year in advance 
I mean, not quite a year in advance, but the, the point is once your film is done, it's, it's like on a shelf and all your eggs are in this big basket. It's a great basket to be in, but it's, it's a very committed type of strategy. And the hope would be that you come out of it with the legitimacy to, to help your film. So that's the idea of sort of a claim that it provides this external credibility to the film and what you've done. That is, it can be very valuable. And I think one thing that we've talked about is that, yes, while you're at those films, potentially an HBO or some other organization could come in and buy the film. And then you are being seen not by, you know, a couple hundred people, but a couple hundred thousand people, you know, like your, your audience uh, to see the film greatly expands. If you brokered some kind of deal, then ostensibly your film would have been paid for and people would be interested in funding your next project. And, and then your film could actually go somewhere and do something too. There's yeah, also a lot of films that just sort of, you know, they're not trying to quote unquote win an Oscar. They're trying to carve out a niche where it's a, um, an enterprise that, you know, is self-sustaining. Mm. And, and, you know, without going for the big splash, maybe that's something we're interested in because you can apply for a lot of film festivals that aren't exclusive. And so you're just uh, basically sending your film out to, you know, Arizona or Colorado or Greece, and those places are going to give it an audience and are going to hopefully generate a little bit of press. And and in the meantime, it, the film could have already been out for a year, you know, and so it's, it's worthwhile and it, it helps get the word out but but uh it's not sundance or toronto or something right and as you also pointed out that you have to withhold the film because they want you know this exclusivity which prevents you from doing things like sharing it with your kickstarter backers (laughs) one thing I'm, i'm getting used to and i you know i my brain is trained one way (laughs) um but like I'm constantly reminding myself like this is what we want to do and this is what I'm committed to doing is um and and I don't have a full picture yet and you know we still could with with any luck end up selling this to some type of media outlet but um I mean that is that is a goal but I think we're pretty committed to having it be a fairly open process along the way and being open to completely producing it independently the whole way through so we're taking some steps that you know you wouldn't necessarily take otherwise if you were trying to crank out a documentary and sell it right away and and we had a nice development along these lines this week that that I was going to mention which is that Nelson's sister is a MBA student in Costa Rica Ava Coto she's an MBA student in Costa Rica and her class has taken on the film as a project where they're going to help do project management for us so we have a class of Costa Rican business students that are going to be helping us over this winter and for the next several months to get things in order and get ready for the launch. So that along along the lines of what we're trying to do, I think that's, that's a really nice development. And, you know, her energy, obviously, she's really invested in, in getting your story out there. And, um, and she's been a great help so far. And um, we're both looking forward to meeting these people and and working with them. And yeah. it's great to have people on board that speak a lot better Spanish than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, because then they can help with like translations or those those kind of things. But I think they're they're really going to help us, you know, looking forward. How do we, you know, we're on the path to get uh, this this first part done, and we've said before that we want to do three different sort of episodes. I hope that they'll help us kind of figure out how do we do that? You know, how do we make this some sort of sustainable enterprise and not just mm -hmm. this one-time project? And that will obviously be challenging. Going back to something that you said with uh, sort of talking about the film festivals and this idea of press, you know, that's interesting to me because one of the things that I've learned from my work on Kickstarter is that one of the things that crowdfunding does is it compresses the attention for a particular project or product, uh, you know, a, the attention that you would receive over six months or a year, it compresses that down to a month, which is really interesting um, and can have, you know, both good and bad sides, but it, it drives attention and awareness of your project in a way that, you know, it, it, in a much more, in, in a quicker way than going to all these different film festivals and having all the independent. It's a little more sustained maybe. Yeah. Like I, well, I worked on a movie whisper in darkness, which just came out for iTunes this week. Yeah. And we'll put and a link they, so you can rent it and, and see John's handiwork. There you go. I was line producer and I'm not at all involved in distribution and, and it was several years ago, but they did a great job. And, uh, and, they're still getting it out there, and and the point is that uh, it's it's like a, a 1930s or early 40s horror film like like uh, Dracula. So it's shot in that style and everything, um, and it's got a niche. And they'll go to you know sci-fi film festivals or horror film festivals, um, or it's an H.P. Love if people know the author H.P. Lovecraft, who's sort of like a early 20th century precursor to Stephen King. They'll go to H.P. Lovecraft film festivals, and there's your audience. You know, there you are connecting with the people that actually would buy your film. Still, this huge um, set, essentially, set of conventions out there that that your audience is going. You know, people that are sort of tuned into your type of product are going to, and over a series of years, they can tap into that and uh, and and generate a lot of revenue that way, and and get you know people who would. I mean, it's not just for them. Like, H.P. Lovecraft fans would love to see this film, and, and this is the way they learn about it. So it, I hope it, that in our instance, you know, there's human rights types of uh, festivals or Latin American festivals. So there's this, yeah. um, you know, this challenge of, okay, we do the project. You know, it takes a couple of years to get it out there, and then a couple more years before you can just download it. Well, it's right? probably just something we should be doing a year and a half from now, you know? It should be part of our due diligence. Um, it should be part of our efforts. It's, you know, and they don't, they don't necessarily, if they're in the film festival in Greece, it didn't mean they went to Greece. Although I did see them go to like Ireland and <laughs> um, a couple of places, but you, you might not even go to all these places, but, but uh, probably, you know, it's over the long term, you're researching these types of things and, and helping, it's helping you to stay relevant. Yeah. And but it's not, you know, you could have done 15 things in the interim, you know. Right. So it's, you know, I, I think at the heart of this episode and this decision is really this idea of trade-offs. You know, you can go down this one path and you, you 
have the potential to get picked up and have your audience greatly expanded and, you know, your next project funded and all these great things. But on the other hand, then you're, you're sort of sacrificing this immediate connection with the audience. And I, I mm-hmm. think that we have, throughout our discussions, we've leaned more towards the idea of making an impact with the film. Like we want this to be out and to make a difference. And, and I think like in our ideal world, and this is, you know, this not probably not going to happen, you know, but, uh, and I, I don't, I hesitate to mention this film because I think that it was so problematic. Um, so I'm just talking about the distribution of this film. I'm not talking about the film, but in our ideal world, we do something like they did with that Coney film where like maybe we'd release it in segments on YouTube for free. And the, because the point is to have as many eyeballs as possible, you know? Um, and for people to know that there's still families looking for 500 disappeared children that disappeared in the early 80s in El Salvador um, and that some of them are still out there and and that could if, if there was more awareness of this issue there would be more reunions and the reunions are still happening you know um, and so that that's the goal you know, the goal isn't to make a million dollars. The goal is to create awareness for the issue, hopefully make some type of impact, and get to continue to finish telling this story, which takes dollars, right? Yeah. Um, so. Which is a challenge in itself, right? So, so yeah, so that's like, that's... so you can't just say, oh, we're going to put it out there for free and everybody watch. Like, we've got to figure something out, you know? And right. Know, yeah, and it, it's it's a very tough balance to uh, to maintain. But, but you know, but that... we err on the side of, like, we're in the camp of, okay, you know, we're not going to try and make a splash at Sundance if, if we were even that, you know, let's say we were so lucky. What, what we're erring on the side of is um, that we'd like people to participate and and make this an op- as open a process as we can. Yeah, I think that that says it perfectly. So this leads me to a, a story that I wanted to share of uh, an example of how I feel that the world is sort of shifting in our favor. You know, I think you go back 10, 15 years ago, then it, it's very hard to do what we're talking about. You know, you can't just post a video on YouTube and have millions of people see it. That that thing, you know, there was no YouTube, there was no internet, all those pieces were missing. But now we're starting to get to a point where the infrastructure is in place and people are using it. And so it is a lot easier for someone to do an independent piece of work and have it picked up and, and sort of exposed to a more mainstream audience, let's say. And a great example of this is my friend Srini, who was uh, a speaker at the Misfit Conference, which I attended back in June at Fargo. And he just self-published this book, The Art of Being Unmistakable, a collection of essays about making a dent in the universe. And he sent me a review copy and I give him some feedback early on. But this was out and his his sort of goal for the project was to sell around a thousand copies, you know, cause he's an independent author and he, he didn't go through a publisher. He just picked himself and put it out there. And what was fascinating. So he was, he, his distribution was like 
some like Amazon or something where Amazon gets 30% and he gets 60 or 70% and if he sells a thousand copies for 10 bucks he's going to get 6 or 7000 dollars is that the well i mean he he was only selling it for for 3 bucks so but okay. yes it, it's you know Amazon gets a cut and then he gets the rest and i i think it wasn't even about uh, the money as much as getting his message out there and saying you know like as an author here I, i'm going to put this out into the world and my goal is to sell a thousand I copies want to be heard right yes i want to okay. spread this message so he put it out there and you know the other half of the distribution is people like me right so it comes out and i post about it on facebook and you know he he has this blog that he's run and done he's done a lot of interviews and every all of his uh, fans and listeners posted about it, and the book went to number two on Amazon in the business section, I believe. You know really? when it came out, yeah. yeah. And it just so happened to catch the attention of one Glenn Beck. <laughs> yeah, and which, which sort of blew my mind because you know I, you know I just didn't. I, I was sort of like, why is Glenn Beck picking up on this? You know, it just seems so different. And is the book ideological? No, it's not. I mean, Srini is, and he's talked about this before. He is not uh, sort of either. He's not a Glenn Beck listener per se. <laughs> right, exactly. And he he okay. does not take a stance on either side of the aisle. And this is something he wrote about an, after. It's the, about entrepreneurial spirit. Right. Glenn Beck liked that. Yeah, yeah, I think he he really connected. Also, just telling this to me, so I don't know the story. Right. Well, what is what's crazy about this is not only did it like he he just I guess decided to buy it on a whim and he read it, but he he absolutely loved it. But he invited Srini to come on his show, so he does like this independent radio or whatever he has, and and he's got a a internet channel that you yeah. So he has his own distribution, and now Glenn Beck, as Srini puts it has a bigger microphone than most of us, you know, and he can reach 30 million people or so. Uh, but he invited Srini on to talk about the book. And what was fascinating to me was watching this interview, and I'll, I'll post a link to that interview. Um, but I, I really got to see a different side of Glenn Beck. You know, we have this sort of idea of who he is in the media. And I'm going to refrain comment for the yeah. sake of your friends. I mean, see, exactly. We have this. this I, I, I would not be a Glenn Beck listener. I, right. I, I, w- I do not have a positive opinion of Glenn Beck. But that have doesn't a, mean he couldn't do a good, you know, it doesn't mean that he, he doesn't see something in this book that's worth discussing, you know. Right. And, and that's what I found fascinating was that, you know, I, I, I did have a certain opinion about Glenn Beck and then watching him interview Srini and how deeply they connected you really got to see sort of a different side. And he, you know, I'm just going to say it sort of opened my eyes a little bit about the biases that we all have. And it was, it was interesting, but I think the main, the larger point in this story is simply that my friend Srini, he put out his book, you know, he didn't go through a traditional publisher and someone with a louder, a bigger microphone a megaphone. Did he hit number two on business after Glenn Beck or before Glenn no, Beck? No, before. Before? Yep. Wow. So he hit number okay. two on Amazon before Glenn Beck found him. And then him. he hit number one, right? <laughs> and, and then it, and then Glenn Beck recommended him 
and mm -hmm. he sold over a thousand copies. And one thing he said, you know, in his updates while this was happening is like he probably sold way over a thousand copies. Yeah. Right? So now and I think it's up to two or maybe three thousand now. Oh really? Yeah. So, you know, he said, Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that Glenn Beck would be the person to push me over my thousand copy goal. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you know, I, I, the larger point is I think we're living in a world where sort of the, the independent folks out there can put stuff into the world. and He didn't it, know who his, his audience was going to be. Is that sort of? Well, kind, yeah, kind of in a way. I mean, he knew that it would be us and, you know, like I would post about it. He knew that much, but he didn't realize it would have this appeal to uh, larger influencers. And I think that, you know, that's the world we're living in right now where not necessarily a Glenn Beck, but any sort of person who has their, uh, you know, a, a louder megaphone and can reach a larger audience can find, you know, may find you and promote you. And that's kind of, you know, it is a roll of the die and there's nothing to say that that's going to happen to us. But, you know, there's always that possibility. And I think that that's the direction, as you say, that we lean a little bit more. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that's you a good. You said before you're going to surprise me and not tell me who, and you did surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> I knew you'd like that. <laughs> anyway, I think that's where we're going to end it for today. Um, John, do you have anything else? I think that's that's great. No offense to all the Glenn Beck fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you think I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you can tune in next week, and uh, thank, and thanks for being here. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for being here with us. Bye.